Hello, everyone, and welcome to Call Your Hits, a Stormriders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today, Pat and I are going to do another round of Q&A. These are questions that we've either gotten on our uh, YouTube page as well as on our Discord. And if you haven't had a chance to join us on Discord, I highly recommend that you do so. It's a great community. The link is in the description. That being said, we are going to dive right in. And the first question that uh, I have here is, have you ever sold an Airsoft item and regretted it later? For me, definitely. Um... Not in a, like, oh, God, what have I done way. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, I still have days when I miss the uh, the M4 with the 203. Um, yeah. Largely as a fashion soft piece, if anything. Like, it was badass looking. Yeah, um, yeah. And there was a lot of satisfaction to just the, the chunky, big, intimidating nature of that weapon. Um. I don't really actually miss using the 203 particularly. Um, the rifle itself was really accurate and worked great. So there's that. But the, the 203, uh, as we've talked about on the podcast before, was probably not the best purchase I've made. Um, both, you know, in terms of being very, very expensive and in terms of being not a particularly effective thing on the field outside of really specific Milsim scenarios. Yeah, and I mean, it does have that sort of intimidation factor in certain cases against certain people. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, that's pretty much it, right? You're just getting a really big, like, just BB shotgun. Yeah, exactly. And um, especially now that, like, Airsoft Innovations has their burst semi-auto shotgun, like, I think there are better ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Um In terms of practical field ability and just, like, actually getting value out of your money um, if you're looking to win games with your kid, yeah. um, definitely it was a really good purchase in terms of like just hearty laugh and giggle factor. Uh, although definitely, even there, definitely. like um, running the grenades on uh, CO2 in order to try to make them more combat effective uh, was really fun when shooting them because uh, they make a very loud bang and it's just a lot of fun. Um, but it's the attrition on the grenades is also really, really high. So uh, yeah, I. other than that, I don't think there are any rifles I've sold where I'm like, oh man, uh, you know. Uh, I had a pretty good backpack that I sold a couple years ago uh, that I am regretting right now because it would be great to store my HPA tank in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and last but certainly not least, I do regret selling my PX4, which is why I bought another one. <laughs> yeah, that's the, yeah, that's a bit of a proof is in the pudding there, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I bought another one. It, uh, clearly I yeah. missed it. <laughs> I think for me, looking back on it and looking at sort of the kits that I'd like to sort of make an impression of today or something, I really do miss my FAMAS in that respect. Um, It's not great. It was a TM FAMAS, like the version one, like the very first airsoft gun they ever made. Um, I don't necessarily miss its like form or function uh, in terms of practical applicability on the field and, and stuff like that like you were saying like is would it make me a better player like no but i really and i mean it had a lot of faults but it looked really cool i'd love to have it as a showpiece just have it mounted on my wall and also if i ever decide to someday invest the money into making a um 
an FFL kit, I think that would be very cool. Now, I do recognize that, you know, the FFL using the 416 and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I would want to make like a FAMAS FFL kit. That's that's what I would want to do. But anyways. It's about the look, right? It's about doing the uh, the impression. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's got a 416 nowadays, but not many people have the FAMAS. It's very distinct. Uh, and I know Ian McCollum would be very, uh, very happy with me for, for saying so. And I mean, it was a really cool gun. Um, yeah. And kind of a piece of airsoft history in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, for any, aside from the fact that it looked great and stuff, it also shot really fast, like right out of the box. It was a, that, it was a problem. Like it really was a problem. <laughs> it was an LMG. It mm-hmm. just didn't look like one. <laughs> Another question that we have here is, what is one mistake you found yourself making more than once on the airsoft field? Like something big or small, but what's that thing that makes you think, damn, I did that again? What would that be for you? Uh, I'm actually going to harken back to the last game we played and a thing you said during the first game, which was, wow, you're being a lot more aggressive than usual. Um, The answer to the question for me is, yeah, I'm not aggressive enough in a lot of the games we play. Um, I have a tendency to... Uh, sort of try to sit and hang back and shoot, um, which is feasible because of the range and accuracy of the guns I build, um, but it's not necessarily the best approach to actually winning a game. Um, you know, fire and maneuver has a, a pretty positive effect. Even when I'm on my own, uh, I find like if I'm moving aggressively and trying to like push up, I do better, uh, but I don't always apply that. <laughs> and uh, I think that I also don't take the high ground that's available um as often as I should, because uh, I, I really got an object lesson this weekend in how brutally effective that can be with some of my kit, <laughs> and just went, hmm, I should be doing this more often. Yeah, definitely. I would, I, I'd echo some of your comments as well. I think for me, um, it's not so much a mistake, but I, I definitely have these situations where I, I'm not aggressive enough. But one thing I, I do find myself doing, and I've talked about it in like uh, one of the videos we did a little while ago, but I still find myself for every now and then emerging from cover and just looking with my head and I'm not ready to engage. And it's something I've been really trying to work on and really breaking this notion of, oh, well, it's just a second. I'm just going to take a quick peep or, or whatever. In situations where I'm not immediately being engaged, there is literally no reason for me not to have my airsoft gun up and ready to engage when I'm coming out of cover, aside from the fact that it's a little bit of extra effort. And I found myself doing that last week, and I found myself doing it the weekend before, and it's really trying to break out of that habit. And not to say that, you know, you can never do that, and it's never appropriate, but you're always adding a lot of value if you are ready to engage when you come out of cover, right? That's definitely something I do as well. Um, you know, I, I do practice trying to get up and out with the, the gun up, but I've definitely like poked my head around and I'm like, mm, hello, <laughs> uh, to dubious effect, shall we say in the last few times I've played. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, again, it's one of those things where every time I did it, I'm like, shit, did that again. <laughs> yeah. So do you have a particular plan of action or is there anything that you're going to be doing to try and curtail that a little bit? Um, other than sort of bringing it to the forefront of my mind before we start. Um, especially like quick, you know, like team deathmatch games and stuff. Um, I feel like the easiest way for me to improve on things that are just, you know, training out bad habits is to try to remind myself, yeah, don't do that this game, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's been working, you know, it's it's definitely a work in progress, but I do it less than I used to. Um, and 
I think the same applies to the aggression, really. It's just, you know, like remembering, oh, yeah, no, I should be, I should be pushing up. You know, there's no real reason for me not to be moving up with the guys and doing what I do from pretty close to them. The, the cover two lines back isn't any better. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just being a practice of being mindful more so than it is uh, like uh, self-flagellation or anything like that. Beating myself up about it isn't going to help. No. And, and I think that's a great point. Like there is, there is a, a point in your sort of self, your self analysis of your performance where you don't want to beat yourself up, but you want to recognize that you have an opportunity for improvement and sort of figure out what your plan of action is going to be to try and mitigate that in future. And I'm sort of in the same boat that you are there. Like it's, it's a matter of being aware and conscious and mindful that these things are occurring and then trying to self-correct as soon as it happens. Right. Um, It doesn't really hurt you to think about it two weeks later and go, Oh God, I did all, I made all these mistakes and stuff, but really your optimal point for correction is just when it happens. Right. So you peek out a cover and you, without having your, your airsoft gun up and ready to engage, you recognize that you do that. And then you immediately correct that by going back into cover and, you know, putting your, your rifle up and then coming out of cover again. Right. So you're, you're uh, identifying the mistake that you've made and taking corrective action right away. And, the fact that you like when you look out of cover and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You you ping that right. Your brain registers that, and then you go do the correct thing. Helps unlearn the first thing you did, mm-hmm. especially when the first time you're like, oh, I locked out and I didn't get shot in the face. The second time you come out with the rifle and you get a, a kill, you're like, yeah, awesome. That you know, it's uh, it's one of those uh, airsoft good practices that actually rewards you really tangibly pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, in just you get the drop on people who otherwise would have gotten the drop on you. Yeah, absolutely. So it. Uh, it self-reinforces in a positive sense that way. I've also, um, so one of the things I tend to practice, you know, kicking around my house is just sort of slicing the pie with my rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I work that into ready-ups because to be honest, I find it more fun than I find ready-ups. So if I am doing it alongside the ready-ups, I do more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it's just, yeah, if I'm slicing the pie or like, you know, doing ready-ups while trying to like pop out around a corner in my house or whatever and just use a corner in a room as cover if you will like a door it's a place where i can actually be like yeah no you shouldn't be doing this by looking in with your face right and it's not so much a thing i train uh in terms of thinking oh yeah don't do the stupid thing it's a thing where i'm like i know that i'm i'm practicing so i know i don't do the stupid thing Mm -hmm. uh and it helps curve upward the likelihood that when i'm popping out from a piece of cover in the field i will do things the right way yeah and i I think you touched on a really good point earlier and it's one that um, was very true for me several years ago when we were offside shooting and just learning. And so sometimes I would not shoot offside. I would still shoot strong side. And then you get hit immediately because you're exposing so much of your body. You get that sort of negative reinforcement as well from making your mistakes that, oh, uh, I did the stupid thing and I got shot for it. And it's at that point that it's important to put those two together. I did the stupid thing and I got shot for it equals... I should not do that stupid thing. I should do the proper thing, right? And you need to make that connection. And the more often your brain makes that connection, you get that sort of positive reinforcement where it's like, oh no, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing and I'm not getting hit for it. When you're not getting hit, it's easy to assume that everything is going right. I mean, you could you could go and shoot from the left side of a piece of cover being um, not transitioned to your offside and never get hit and think everything is fine. But the reality is you're better off doing it the other way. And so sometimes if you're not getting hit, it's important to, to put that connection. It's like, I'm not getting hit because I'm doing the things the proper way or the way that I maximize the odds of my survival, so to speak. I mean, we know 
full well, really, uh, that, you know, especially for guys who are on the bigger side, like me, uh, effective cover use is harder because there's more of you to stick out from things, um, but all the more important because of that, right? And, uh, you know, the side transition thing was a really easy one for me to pick up as a positive habit because I did it, like, we, we did it at a training day and literally the next time I played, I got several kills where I would instead have gotten hit just because I was doing it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was actually so important that one of the uh, critical pieces when I was looking into the HPA stuff, like a thing I actually sat down and did with uh, with Steph's kit, is I just did a bunch of side transitions to see if the hose would get in the way. Because if the hose got in the way, it was sort of like, eh, this is a no-go. Yeah, that's right. It's not like, Genuinely, it's that important to what I view as effective play in Airsoft. Yep, I agree. Um, another question we have here, what is one tool that you've bought to work on your guns that you can't do without? So obviously, I don't do a lot of teching, so I don't have a lot of tools. One thing I will say for me in terms of just quality of life is I have a very long phillips head screwdriver the the neck of the screwdriver is extremely long because that allows me to get to the buffer tube screw very easily without having to try and figure out if i can get a screwdriver that's kind of long enough but will also fit in the buffer you don't have to worry about any of that stuff to me buying that was just like it just alleviated a tremendous amount of frustration not that it was very expensive and guess what it's still a Phillips head screwdriver, so it can still screw in or out all the random Phillips head screws that I have around my house and everything else. It just also has this extra benefit for Airsoft, which means that I can actually tighten up my own uh, buffer tube if I need to, uh, or you know, take apart the gun and have this tool that's very effective. Now, like I said, I don't do a lot of teching, but for me, that was definitely a big uh, quality of life upgrade. I'm sure Pat will have a more fulsome answer for you. I mean, funnily, you know, that's not a tool that I would have gone to off the top of my head but it's an extremely useful thing to have and it's one of those things that for the sake of ten dollars pretty much everyone who owns an m4 style airsoft rifle should probably have one because mm -hmm. your buffer tube screw will get loose and it will bug the hell out of you yeah and if you can just fix it you know instantly casually awesome <laughs> um the biggest one for me uh is i have a couple of sets of um welder's forceps uh, that were a gift from my father because he thought they'd probably be useful for holding stuff into the gearbox while I put it together. Uh, and I use them literally every time I crack a gearbox. Uh, you can use them to uh, lock down the uh, anti-reversal latch while you're putting the shell, like laying the shell on, keeping the screen compressed and everything, and then pull them out and use a little, you know, pin, pick, whatever you got, dental pick, uh, to pop it into exactly where it's supposed to be and it doesn't fly out on you and you can do the same thing with some of the wiring um they're mint they save me a whole lot of just being annoyed by stuff um and to the point where a number of people i know who've tried tech work independently have been like watching me put a gearbox together and going that is awesome i need those or alternately i hate that you have these and i didn't know they existed excuse me <laughs> mm -hmm. um uh, a set of good like a good screwdriver multi-bit set um i don't even mean really good like a 30 40 dollar one uh is definitely a must-have for tech work just because it has torx bits and um hex bits and you can therefore get into anything you need to get into um which is fabulous uh, i recently picked up a uh, valve key for popping the valves out of uh gas blowback pistol mags uh, i think the biggest is a tri 
key, so it's three different pieces. I think the biggest one will actually do uh, like gas rifle mags. I haven't checked because I don't have one. And uh, the ability to just be like, oh, my valve is leaking. Let me just unscrew that and put some lube on it and put it back in. It's fine is definitely, that's a $30 I probably should have spent several years ago um, in terms of like relative hassle. But the, uh, the forceps absolutely take the cake for me. Um, and where can, if someone is listening to this and they're like, geez, I need them, where do you get those? Like, are they at like Home Depot kind of deal or? Um, Home Depot has had them occasionally um, in Canada or I don't know if Princess Auto is a US company, um, but Princess Auto is a good bet. Amazon sells them. Okay, cool. So they're pretty available. Like they're not, like you said, they're not some sort of niche thing that you have to go to some store that's only open nine to three, three days a week yeah, or like whatever. 10 bucks for a, a straight set and a bent angled set uh, in the same package usually, or like $15. I think the ones I have are from Lee Valley, which means they're a slightly nicer tool uh, and probably cost $25. Um, and like the Lee Valley ones, I heartily recommend. Um, but it, it's really not a complicated thing. Um, I will note these are forceps that provide their own torque closed. They're not uh, like a click and lock surgical set. A click and lock, sur- lock surgical set will clamp down too hard and break stuff. Good to know. Um, if you are looking for a set uh, and you have trouble finding them, pop into our Discord, highlight me, and I will give you a link. Next question. Um, how do you keep your mask from fogging up? What do you use? Uh, honestly, I uh, use good goggles. <laughs> yeah. Like, And I hate to say that in a snarky way. I use ESS uh, goggles. All the goggles I have ever owned for Airsoft have been ESS goggles. Uh, I've used a set of Land Ops, a set of Desert Ops, and a set of V12 Advancers. Uh, They are all great goggles. Um, You know, they've all taken BB hits. Uh, They've all taken branches. You know, they've proven to be super durable. Uh, The only thing the Advancers failed to survive was being brought to school and used as goggles because I had to wear goggles to school due to COVID for the last couple of months of the year. Um, apparently school is harder on equipment than airsoft go figure i blame the children but uh yeah uh if you're in a climate like ours you know all of these uh come with a uh, foam mesh around uh, a vent panel and i've ripped it out of all of them because we don't live in a dusty climate if you live in a climate where you actually get dust don't but like it rains here every second day so it's not really a thing yeah I, I would I would definitely agree with that. Uh, I have used different types of goggles in the past. Like I used to use uh, some Bole. Um, geez, I can't even remember the the make of the Bole at that at this point. I used some of those. I used some Wiley X goggles at one point too, and then probably since two thousand and nine onwards, I've been using the Advancer V12s. Uh, I've had two separate frames one of them cracked on the nose bridge after like i don't know six years the other one is still going strong i've gone through many 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 different lenses because eventually the coating gets scratched and wears down but even when it's scratched up like you will get some condensation if you're in a highly humid environment like if you're in right in the middle of the woods and all this kind of stuff but as soon as you get a bit of a breeze it clears. They never fog for any period of time. And I think that if you're using any like dual paint, thermal paintball masks, if you're using any good tactical goggle, whether it's an ESS or whether it's, you know, a, a Smith Optics or anything like that, like a bullet ant revision, I think is the is the the make, you're getting good quality eye pro. This is eye protection that professionals rely on not fogging as part of their job to keep them alive. 
right? And as a consequence of that, they probably will be good enough uh, for airsoft. Now, you can also get aftermarket anti-fog treatments, which will give you a variety of different results depending on the type of the treatment, obviously the quality, and also the makeup of your lens, if you have a polycarb lens or, or what have you. So you can certainly go down that route, but if you choose a good set of iPro, um, then generally speaking, you will have uh, you'll have good results. Now, with the V12, the Advancers in particular, they don't make those anymore, but they do have a, an updated version, which I don't know what it's called. Uh, but basically, they just open up at the sides a little bit to maximize airflow. You can find that feature on different types of goggles. I know the Bole X800 have a separate panel, which means that air flows freely up and down. Like you can get a lot of these features, but at some point, it's also important to recognize that your goggles will fog it is going to happen in certain climates because that's how thermodynamics works right like if you have a very high dew point and you know the water is just building up on your lens you will get condensation that's just how it works uh so you need to be prepared for that now you can also go to the fan route i know chris had a fan for a long while that he would blow air through his lens and he's and the uh, notoriously sweaty storm rider <laughs> yeah well i mean i'm pretty sweaty as well but yeah and in point anyways the the point of all this without getting into too much information uh <laughs> is there are solutions out there um but generally speaking if you stick to your first goggle being a good, solid brand. And we would recommend that anyway, just from an eye protection standpoint. Obviously, we've, you're not picking mesh, right? Uh, yeah. If you're buying cheap repro goggles that don't actually have an NC rating or an EN rating on them, you should you know, steer clear. Um, and then after that, once you once you hit the good quality, good brands, the real steel brands, you generally will find good uh, anti-fogging results. And it's one of these things where... I'm inclined to say that this is very much a buy once, cry once kind of thing. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, I bought John a set of uh, Land Ops uh, two years ago on a trip um, to Central Canada uh, for $40 at a uh, used gear store. Like, it, they're not super expensive. Yeah. Um, you can definitely spend more than that on good goggles, but $40 will get you a decent pair and really that like oh you know i'm at the airsoft shop and they're selling me ten dollar goggles that they got from evike for five bucks is mm, probably just don't do it yeah um and i don't mean that as you know aspersion against your local airsoft store <laughs> just uh decent ones good ones cost 40 bucks so spend it it there's really no alternative and i've used a couple of the anti-fog solutions um they work pretty well because uh, we do get three days of hot, humid weather here during the summer, uh, where if they happen to be days when we're playing airsoft, yeah, if you're, if there's no air around you, like no breeze around, then yeah, they fog up a little bit. But like, it's not a significant problem for us where we live most of the time. If you're buying good goggles, most of the time I've encountered people who are like, oh, my goggles are fogging up. It's like, well, you know, either you cheaped out on goggles or like there's an inch of foam around the part that's supposed to breathe and maybe you should take that out. So uh, the next question we have here, uh, it's comment slash question. Is there a legitimate reason to not use an optic on your airsoft gun? No. Uh, next question. No, okay. So let's talk about it for a second here. <laughs> so this is something we've talked about in a video recently, and uh, it's always a point of discussion and contention. Should you be using red dots? Should you be using iron sights? There's a lot of stuff out there, and it's just when it comes to aiming your airsoft gun, obviously... 
you don't necessarily need any sort of aiming device. Lots of people use no sights, no optics. Stefan has done it in the past. And you just walk your shot on targets, right? So is it strictly necessary? No, obviously it's not. However, there are reasons why you should use an aiming device of some sort. And you can absolutely have legitimate reasons not to use an optic if, if you don't want to use one, if you prefer to use uh, just your iron sights, right? I mean, practically speaking, for my money, uh, I think the only reason not to have some sort of red dot reflex sight on your primary airsoft rifle, whatever it may be, uh, is if it's my grand, right? If you're running a historical piece that shouldn't have one and you don't yeah. want to do something ahistorical because you're aiming for simulationist. Uh, like in practical terms, yes, okay, sure. Learn how to shoot with your iron sights because it's not that hard and they're there, right? You're going to game with them, why not? Mm -hmm. uh, but for one thing, right, and this is a really relevant factor, your iron sights are replicas of real steel rifle sights. This means two things. Uh, it means that in some cases, they're not very well made because as we all know, the, the tolerance is on quality for some airsoft replica stuff is not terribly good, Yeah. right? So like I had a pair of flip up um, sites with like a biohazard logo on them that were like, oh, zombies ones uh, for a couple of years because they were around and cheap and I wanted a pair of backup irons on my rifle. Yeah. And they were trash. They're not adjustable. They're, they have no windage, they have no elevation. They're just, they're awful. Um, and they were, in fact, so bad that they were useless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, even within the scope of Airsoft. The M27 that I'm currently playing with uh, has HK M27 style sights on it, which are designed as rifle sights. They are not really designed to be configured to shoot at someone 50 feet away as your standard engagement distance. Yeah. Which makes them not that effective for, mm, I don't know, two-thirds of the Airsoft we play. Really? Like, 50 to 100 feet is our... 250 feet tops is our sort of functional engagement distance for most of what we're doing. And that's true, I think, of most airsofters. If you're actually using real steel rifle sights, um, and I don't mean red dots, I mean just the irons, they're not going to be super easy to configure for that piddly little range. Um, because that's basically, you know, nose to nose for an actual assault rifle. Um, the red dots don't have that problem. They're designed to be configured to whatever range you need them, generally. You know, um, if you're rocking something magnified, then that's a separate conversation. Um, but yeah, uh, the other thing is, yeah, reflex sights are a good thing, right? People who rely on uh, optics and rifles to keep them alive, mostly at this point run them whenever possible, wherever possible, unless they're running a magnified sight for other reasons. So what's the takeaway from that you know why do they use them well not that i do that for a living but you know i've talked to people um i have friends who are you know serving in the forces yeah they're faster demonstrably your ability to bring your rifle up and be on target is faster with a red dot yeah no uh, question no question if there's no historical um issue or anything like that yeah you probably ought to be running one in my opinion, um, like don't necessarily go buy a $300 one right away or anything like that. Um, you know, a $50 red dot will usually do everything you needed to for airsoft purposes. Uh, I will say you should probably try to stay away from the EOTech replicas. I've had three and I think Phil's had two as well. 
uh, and they tend to have a lot of ghosting issues. So when you look down, you see um, more than one ring, two of them faded, uh, and it's just annoying to shoot with them. Yeah. But yeah, um, like they're not the first thing you should buy, and we've already talked a bunch previously about what we think the first and second and third and fourth thing you should buy is. But um, if you continue playing Airsoft after you buy, you know, the boots, the goggles, and the gun, Red Dot's a good, solid purchase. Yeah, once you get that Red Dot sighted in and you get accustomed to, you know, what we talked about in some of our other videos, like you know your distance holds at like 50, 100 feet, 150 feet, if your gun has that kind of range. Um, they're just, like Pat was saying, they're just way, way faster. And this idea, just think about it from the other side. Do you really think that putting a properly sighted, properly uh, adjusted Red Dot sight on your gun is going to make it worse for you to use like there's no conceivable scenario like yeah if it's not sighted in and the site is garbage and all this kind of stuff then yeah sure but if it's a, a reasonably good red dot that is adjusted and sighted in for your particular airsoft gun do you conceivably can you conceive of a scenario where that's going to make you worse off not better like no right it just makes total sense so is there a legitimate reason for not using an optic like pat was saying yeah if you're using if you're doing an impression kit or something like that and it makes no sense obviously if you're going to be a cowboy with your lever action rifle you shouldn't have an optic on that lever action rifle unless you're some sort of cyberpunk cowboy that i'm not familiar with in which case do it because that's metal <laughs> and then the other piece is just point of fact like i mean you don't you can't afford one that's totally okay it's not a priority for you that's okay too right again airsoft is a fashion show if you don't want to use one that's a totally legit reason not to use one however from a purely practical point of view and looking at your own performance as the metric that you're trying to improve there is no question that a red dot properly sighted and adjusted on your rifle is going to make a big, big difference for you. And our recommendation is heartily to support you in making that purchase and getting that on your gun and getting used to using it. And we're happy again, you know, like no one is sponsoring us to sell you red dots, but if you pop into the discord and are like, Hey, what red dot do you guys use? Uh, we have three or four across our team that we use and we can definitely go. Yeah, these are okay. Yeah. <laughs> Next up. What is your all-time favorite camo pattern? And I'm going to add a twist on this one. Is this from John? Like, really? No, it's not from John. <laughs> uh, what's our favorite all-time camo pattern? And then I'm going to add another piece. What's the one that's actually most practical in our area? Because I think those are important. So, Pat, why don't you start us off here? What is your favorite camo pattern? My favorite camo pattern, I'm, I'm definitely going to cheat a little bit here is definitely my like just us world war ii olive drab um i think it looks badass as hell it's super comfy um you know yeah it's the wool trousers but like we live in newfoundland it's cold here most of the time <laughs> it's, true. it's true um and no it's it's surprisingly you know it's decently practical it's not the most practical camo i've ever used here at all um but it is really i like it a lot uh, i also I will admit to uh, having a soft spot um, in a more modern camo sense for uh, urban multicam. I think the black and gray multicam looks really sharp. Um, I also think it's completely useless for every single thing our team ever plays here, yeah. so I don't own any, uh, but it looks cool. Like I always enjoy you know, uh, people posting up photos of that particular, uh, particular camo. It always feels, oh, that's rocking. Um, but uh, maybe that's the like oh, I want to be a bad guy, air softer in me, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. And uh, we can talk about what is uh, 
uh, effective for Aereo just in a little bit. Because, I mean, we play in the same place, so, like, our answer is likely going to be very similar. And, and, I mean, we did a video on that last summer, right? Like- yeah, for sure, <laughs> and we can unpack some of that. I think, for me, my one of my favorite types Flash. of time. <laughs> no, it's not Alpenflage. Alpenflage is a meme, but it's not my favorite. My, I think my favorite recently, uh, for the last couple of years, and one that I haven't been able to acquire because it is pretty expensive to get it here in Canada, is actually Swedish M90 camouflage. Swedish M90 camouflage is um, like it's like hard geometric shapes. Um, it's I guess it's kind of similar to maybe Splinter, um, but it's just really cool. It's got um, dark greens, lighter greens, a little bit of gray in there. Uh, and it's just, it looks really sharp. Um, I do think that it would do all right in our in our environment, uh, especially probably in the summer months where we do have a fair amount of greenery. Um, but it looks really sharp and it's not super common. You don't see it a whole lot. Uh, so I'm just sort of, I'm just waiting to be able to find some that's not like incredibly expensive uh, and then being able to... Uh, to, to get some now that being said if you are listening and you are from sweden and uh there is a a, a surplus shop that sells it please send me a message on discord uh, i would be very interested in speaking with you <laughs> but uh it is it is pretty sharp uh it's a little bit more old school like i'm not a huge fan in general of digital patterns i think they are i mean i understand that they have a place for sure but they're just not something that appeals to me. But talking about camo that's effective in our area, I mean, we can start with digital patterns and we could talk about CADPAT. CADPAT is the the, uh, Canadian pattern um, camouflage for, well, they've got two. They've got an arid and they've got a TW version, which is temperate woodland. And I mean, it was designed to be applicable and useful in Canada in sort of a defensive situation. And it works extremely well in our forest. There's no question. It has the dark greens. It has the lighter greens. It's got some brown in there. It's got some black. Um, it is extremely effective. It it's, doesn't look really good, but it's very effective. Yeah, um, it is affectionately referred to as relish. Um, yeah, and it it does look like relish, but it works great. Um, I've honestly, it's one of the most effective camos I've seen used here. It was really clearly designed to blend into sort of coniferous forest. Um, and it does it really well. The one drawback to it, though, is that it fades very, very easily. So if you, uh, if you ever see some people, like, for example, in our town, we do have a couple of reserve battalions and stuff. You can see people who've been in for a while. They've got their, they're wearing their, um, their BDUs or whatever, and they're pretty faded because they've been washed so often. That happens, and it's, you know, it's pretty noticeable. Like, I have a pair of, um, uh, M81 Woodland pants that I've washed and a Woodland top that I've washed for years and years and years and they're not fading nearly as much as some of the, the regular issue CADPAD BDUs that I've seen kicking around uh, here in town. Yeah, I think there's a legitimate reasoning behind replacing your uh, your camo regularly as a soldier serving. Like I think the the budget that gets spent on replacing at least CADPAD seems really sensible to me because it definitely mm-hmm. gets less effective uh, after it's been washed a hundred times, yeah, no question. Uh, or even twenty-five times, I think. Um, but it does work really, really well here. Uh, I definitely think uh, U.S. Woodland also does a treat here. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, it has again; it's the same blend of colors that you need for our forested areas and swamp areas, uh, and that's most of our natural area. Um, 
and it works well roughly every time of the year so even in the winter time when we don't have as much green on the trees uh it still does really well in our you know coniferous forests and stuff like that as well yeah for sure uh i do want to note um just because it only worked for like two seasons of the year here but multi-cam worked um really really well like standard multi-cam worked really really well uh during the sort of dry part of fall and the dry part of spring uh mm -hmm. when everything sort of all the foliage is dead and there's not a lot of green going on other than the the kind of forest trees which if you're behind them give you a decent amount of screening anyway mm -hmm. um you know that did work quite well um if you could find a patch of sort of like done tan grass to hide in and we definitely have that but it's only useful for like two months of the year um so yeah um i think probably any dark woodland pattern yeah um, would work well where we are in the camo video i mean we used flectarn flectarn is another favorite of mine uh, and it is effective. There's no question, uh, you know, and especially in our summer months uh, coming into fall, uh, it has the right color palette. You know, it's got some browns, it's got some dark colors, it's got a little bit of light, uh, works really well. I mean, it's a, it's an excellent, uh, an excellent pattern. And, you know, you talk, you started off talking about, you know, your olive drab World War II trousers and, and top and stuff. Olive drab is also effective. I mean, it, is it going to be as effective up close as some of the more blended camels like obviously not um but it's still green and it's the right kind of green to blend into our forest environments and uh if you're playing airsoft for the first time in the northeast north america and you're hitting a surplus store and all you can find is old od canadian forces camis then you'll be you'll be fine well served with those two yeah, it'll do better than you'd think um, yeah absolutely and it'll yeah. do better than black and it'll do better than just like a t-shirt for sure no question absolutely i mean we had um one of our more veteran players locally was playing in like an OD jumpsuit this weekend and it mm. worked fine. Like I definitely had a couple of places where he shot me and I was like, I did not realize you were over there. Huh. Yeah. OD, even Ranger green, it's perfectly fine. Like just single flat colors can do, can do wonders as long as it's not black or, you know, blaze orange or Alpenflash, because as we know, you know, being bright red is not really, uh, not really going to uh, help conceal you very much. I want to see the forest where that works. I really do. <laughs> yeah. It's in Switzerland somewhere, but don't ask me where. Last question here. I know that not everyone plays Airsoft for the immersive experience, but that being said, what is the number one thing that kills your immersion in Airsoft? So... Before we dive into this question, I mean, yeah, there are people like Pat and uh, like Johnny who wear like the World War II kit and they take part in like more immersive events. Some people uh, do airsoft as a form of LARP as well. And there's an immersion there where you're playing a character and all this kind of stuff. You can have the same thing in, in a milsim. But immersion will mean different things to different people. And being immersed in the game that you're playing can happen at every level. It doesn't have to be this like, oh, I'm I'm playing a character and, you know, it can really be like, I'm just focused on what I'm doing right now. I'm focused on the game. I'm having fun. I'm driving towards the objective. I'm doing the thing that, you know, my kit was meant to do. Um, so, you know, there's different levels of that immersion for everybody else. I would call it immersion or focus, right? Yeah, definitely a good thing to sort of balance out. Yeah, and so with that being said, like, what is the number one thing for you that actually kills that immersion slash focus for you? I mean, it's kind of strange. Um, you know, like, my focus is really only damaged by stuff like my gun not working how it's supposed to, um, you know, which is particularly frustrating, I think, for a gun tech, but um, I could be wrong there. You know, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to measure other people's frustration metrics. Mm -hmm. uh, beyond that... Uh, 
you know, there are a couple of pieces of kit I hate seeing that really do, like, grind my gears, if you will. Um, people playing with riot shields, it's like, come on, you know. Uh, it's like the kid who shows up at the water gun fight, you know, when you're six, and is like, oh, I can't get wet. Really? Right? Um, I, I feel like I have to stop to make fun of people who wear bright red sneakers. <laughs> you know, but I'm not sure that's really a, uh, a thing that breaks my immersion. Um, like in milsim games, I certainly I, I'd say the the thing that breaks immersion for me is stopping, right? Like I, I want them to be a continuous play kind of experience. Agree. Um, you know, I'm not that big into like oh we're, we're going to do an eight hour milsim game, but we're going to stop for an hour for lunch. It's sort of like really. Uh, but yeah, I think that's probably the the primary things. Like I said, I really do I, I really do hate the riot shields. Um, there was you know we had a kid uh, who played like his dad was super into it and he was like. And he basically had a right shield he could hide behind, and that was hilarious. Like that was fine, you know. Um, I have a lot of patience for like, oh well, you know, this kid wants to play, and like these will legitimately maybe even harm him, but like definitely he doesn't want to get shot with an airsoft gun and be like, oh god, why? Nor does dad want to take him home and try to explain why he's got a big welt on his face. Like fair enough. But like if you're a grown ass dude, you know, like oh I'm gonna hide behind my plastic shield and shoot you, yeah, that breaks my verisimilitude. <laughs> yeah, no question. And I would I would add on to that and say that for me, one of the things that really does break my immersion, break my focus is when people are very clearly cheating. That mm, really break, brings me out of what I'm doing because now instead of having a gameplay situation that I have to deal with, I have a situation that I have to deal with. Right. And so now it's no longer about playing airsoft. It's about, okay, I need to call the ref to go and talk to this person to tell them to stop being an ass and, you know, play by the rules. Right. Um, and sort of as a corollary to that, it's all the stuff that goes around, um, all the stuff that happens around that particular scenario. So then you, the ref goes to that person that creates drama because now he's complaining that no, he's not calling the hits and he's not, he's not actually being hit. Uh, or he's complaining about being overshot because people are shooting at them over and over and over to get them to call their hits. And, um, you know, like there's a lot of this stuff that happens. And it's that to me really brings, like I said, really brings me out of that focus, that, that sort of immersion. Because really, we're here to have a good time. And yeah, when you're in a gameplay situation and stuff is not going the way you want to, uh, you're not gaining ground the way you want to, you're constantly getting hit, you're going back to the respawn, uh, you're not being able to advance the way that you want because they're at a really good position, you can't flush them out, and all these different types of scenarios, they're still part of the game, right? You can play the best game you ever played and still lose. Like, that's just, that's how Airsoft goes sometimes, right? And it doesn't. it's not necessarily limited to... Uh, not calling your hits it's stuff like you're not supposed to blind fire your gun like for us that's a that's a you know a cardinal rule right because when you blind fire your gun you do not know what you're shooting at and your muzzle could be right up against someone and you could be doing actual harm to them which is not what we're about like there's no bueno pat likes so, having all of his teeth and all of his eyeballs like you totally, know it's totally and um, so for me when you have people who are deliberately shirking the game rules that really, you know, as uh, to, to, to quote a little bit of Family Guy, that really grinds my gears, right? Like, that really drives me crazy and takes me out of what I'm trying to do and ruins my fun. And I think it's worth noting here, you know, um, really, because this has happened to me 
make sure you read the field rules before you play, even if you played last week, because they got updated. Right? Um, you know, there was a point where full auto was allowed in the village field at Frontline, and I found out that it wasn't allowed when I switched to burst on my rifle just to, you know, fire an extra couple of rounds at somebody and got yelled at by not even the guy I was firing at for being on auto. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Sorry, let me just flip the old selector switch and carry on. Yeah. Um, and I mean, as far as the the not calling hits thing goes, you know, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt for the most part um, in the sense that, you know, these are even even your your hyper accurized airsoft gun is not worthy of the words I just used. Um, you know, and like the last time I played, uh, there were points where I was getting shot at and I was watching the BBs fall 10, 20 feet short of me. Uh, and I hope no one thought that I was cheating. Um, but like, it can be hard to tell that your BB is dropping off from 50, 100, 120 feet. What I have more trouble giving the benefit out to is, you know, you shoot a guy in the neck and he flinches and then turns around and shoots you or shoot, keeps shooting at your friends and you're like, now hang on there. <laughs> right? Yeah. I had a situation a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, and I shared it with the, with the refs after. I caught it on video as well, and I'm not going to share it because I'm not looking at like shaming anybody, but I shot this player over and over and over and i could see the dust off their like chest rig plate carrier whatever they were wearing flying off and you can see it on the footage when you slow it down you can see the flex coming off their carrier hitting them in multiple different places and this person just kept shooting right and they weren't shooting at me they were shooting at one of my teammates and i just kept shooting at them i kept shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting until eventually they walked off the field they never even put their hand up right and so to me, that was extremely frustrated. When I came off the field, I talked to the ref. I said, listen, this is what just happened. This is the player where it occurred. Uh, I got it on video. I'll show it to you later. Um, but we need we need to address this. This, this can't happen. And that sucked. That really did suck. I did not... People be like, oh, you know, well, he had it coming, so you shot him a whole bunch. You know, that's all you can do. That's airsoft. And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't want to have to do that. Nor did I want to have to talk to the ref after the fact to tell them this is the situation that we have, right? That sucks. We all hopefully know this, but like so much of this game is based on the notion that we're all going to play honorably. Uh, honestly, yeah, and a thing that breaks my immersion that, you know, in the sense that it leaves me an angry, angry pat is people trying to game the rules, right? Um, play within the spirit of the rules. The the stuff that people are writing up for the scenarios isn't always airtight. I, God knows I've written stuff that has not been airtight and we've played it and gone, ooh, <laughs> mistakes were made. Yeah. There's no rule that says you can't talk when you're dead, so maybe I'm allowed to do it this time. It's like, no, but you know that that's not in the rules, right? If you're the kind of person who's habitually engaging in dishonorable play in the sense of, you know, like not calling your hits when I shoot you four or five times, I start to have concerns about whether or not you're going to be a safe player. Right. Totally. Um, because you're you're not following the rules. Well, the rules about keeping my mask on and you know not shooting your gun in the safe zone are also rules. Uh, and you don't get to decide what ones you follow and what ones you don't. We we follow all of them because that's what keeps this both an enjoyable sport but also a safe one. Yeah, I actually watched a video yesterday uh, from a field in the United States where the guy is um, the the guy recording the video is operating like a, a sniper rifle airsoft gun, and he goes to shoot at this player, and this player is not wearing eye protection. He has his eye protection up, uh, like on his forehead, right? So to how you just put him at a rest position or whatever. But see, this player is not in the safe zone. He's actively hunting the the sniper in this video, 
right? So he is actively in like playing. So the sniper shot his buddy who is wearing eye pro and then sees this guy and recognizes that the guy is not wearing eye protection. So he of course doesn't shoot at him, which kudos to him because yeah, that's the right play should, on his part. That's the right play. And then he gets shot and he gets taken out. And then as he's coming off the field, he crosses that player who is still not wearing eye protection. And he says, it's like, dude, you're not wearing your mask. How come your mask is up? I could have shot you in the eye. And the guy says, oh, I'm not worried about that. And yeah, sure. He's not worried about that until he gets shot in the eye and loses sight in one of his eyes. And then he sues everybody. Right. Yeah. And like, think about that. That's that sort of behavior is problematic for a variety of different reasons. Number one, because, of course, you're exposing yourself to this tremendous amount of risk, which no airsofter should ever expose themselves to. I I don't know how else to tell you that you shouldn't play airsoft if you're not willing to wear eye protection like it that's the bottom line and so now think about this from the other perspective what if i'm the player who shoots your eye out because you didn't wear eye pro do you think people go ah yeah well no big deal like i mean he wasn't wearing eye pro he made that decision like no i would feel absolutely horrible even if it was your fault i would feel like complete garbage for having been the one who caused that and you're enabling this just by not wearing eye pro like that's stupid and then finally on top of everything else you're giving yourself some sort of advantage on the field because you know people aren't going to shoot at you if they see you're not wearing iPro, so you shoot at them instead? Like, what the hell, dude? Like, no. Like, that kind of that kind of behavior is completely lunatic behavior, and you should not be engaging in that whatsoever. Yeah, no. I mean, if, frankly, you know, because we have played at fields without refs that are, you know, out in the woods, not really curated as such. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, that's the sort of shit where I would tell someone, no, like, leave. Like, you yep, don't absolutely. get to keep playing go home uh and in fact that is a conversation we've had with players um for being just like no you you just did something terribly unsafe like get out you know your your day of airsoft is over yeah so i went off a bit on a bit of a tangent here but i think ultimately there's a reason that this podcast is called call your hits um and it's not just because it's a refrain that we hear on the airsoft field all the time but it's something that we firmly believe in right if you're playing Airsoft, you need to take ownership of your shit, right? That's the bottom line. Like all the stuff that's going to happen, you got to own it, right? And if you get hit, you own it. And sometimes you might not feel it like last weekend. You own that too. Say, listen, sorry, man. I didn't realize. Apologize. Move on. Yep. That's all you can do. Absolutely. Right? Be an adult, right? It's, yep. you know, and it is one of those things where, you know, like um, we believe really heavily in honorable play. Um, that's that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. So guys, that's it for today's Q&A. I hope you found it, you know, if not educational, at least entertaining. Um, We would love for you to join us on Discord. I said it at the start. Uh, The link is in the description. Uh, I can't tell you um, enough about how cool the Discord community is. We have some really nice people in there who are just absolutely willing to share all kinds of information about uh, how they tech, the stuff that they do, their guns, their gear, how they play in their country. Uh, And it really has expanded my Airsoft worldview, and I would highly encourage you if you're if you're listening to this to check us out uh, as i said the link the link is in the description um great community and we'd love to welcome you uh additionally i will mention that um we constantly post for suggestions for content or for participation uh right now we're looking for pictures uh, of your kit to review in some of our future videos we're also looking for footage from your games uh to do a bit of review on as well so if you have anything that you'd like to submit again you can join the discord uh you'll find the link in the description and then once you get in there you'll be able to direct message us with the information for the stuff you'd like us to look at 
Until that time, though, guys, um, that's all we have for you this week, and we will catch you next week. Thanks, guys. Um, As always, it's been a lot of fun, and have a good week.